This is episode 46 of G.I. Joburg, the Nets Only podcast, coming at you from South Africa, talking about G.I. Joe. And tonight, it is the ultimate card art showdown. You're joined by me, Steve. Robert. Paul. And a special guest, joining us all the way from the United States. It's now an international podcast. Yeah, yeah. G.I. Joe, International Heroes. Inside this circle of trust, they call him Cujo. <laughs> so, uh, do Very we get, true. are we inside your circle of trust, Cujo? Oh, dude, since day one. Outstanding. Well then, Cujo it is. And so, we now have a real American hero joining the team of G.I. Joeberg. With a truly it's, international flavor. It's probably more accurate that I'm probably a Cobra, but go ahead. <laughs> we have discussed G.I. Joe action figures, films, cartoons to death on this podcast, but one thing that we've never touched on is something so crucial to the marketing of G.I. Joe, it surprises me that we've never discussed it before, and that is the action figure card art. You see, there is an element that sets G.I. Joe apart from every other toy line that preceded it and every other toy line that has come since. G.I. Joe has set the bar in terms of presentation by including, with practically every single action figure released to its name, its own painted artwork. Now that is just a stamp that uh, I think all attracted us on some level to this toy line. Made us very aware that we were buying something a little bit more special than uh, reproductions of what you saw in a Star Wars movie or on TV. There was something very special invested into each and every one of these characters. And that, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen, is exactly what we are discussing tonight. With a twist, we want to determine, by process of elimination in a knockout-style competition, which is, in fact, the finest G.I. Joe card artwork ever produced. And on our esteemed panel, we have, as we've already mentioned, Cujo and Paul, both artists in their own right. And my buddy Rob, who knows a thing or two about artwork. He is a comic book aficionado uh, and fan culture specialist. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Very, Very generous words. <laughs> if you guys want to punch your deviant arts profiles, feel free. I, I actually don't. Please, please don't go looking for that. <laughs> <laughs> I know how you feel, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. What we can do is we can throw up some links in the G.I. Joburg Facebook page, and then you listeners can go and check them out and take it from there and, and shower us with praise or hate, whichever you prefer. <laughs> that out of the way, we can just talk about how this topic is going to unfold. In order to gauge what the G.I. Joe community at large felt were, in fact, the finest G.I. Joe artworks ever produced, we decided to ask for responses via Twitter, via Facebook, email. I am very pleased to announce that the responses were generous from a number of our friends and other movers and shakers in the G.I. Joburg scene. And I'd just like to big up all of the guys that got back to us. And they are Scott Centerfanti, Star Joes, Sean Durden, Scott Westerman, Justin Generals Joes Bell, 3D Joes, Mike Tenebrae, Ruloff Duplessis, 
Kevin, otherwise known as FormBX257, I've always wanted to say that, and David Cabal. Thank you all for contributing to this episode. Uh, I hope you like our compiled list. The way we've gone about compiling this list of top 10, it actually ran over into top 16, and I'll explain exactly what happened. You see, most people saw eye to eye on the top 11 or so, so they have obviously made the cut. But then everyone's got their own nuanced little eccentric favorite, or two, or five, or ten. So they have gone into what I call the lucky loser draw. Five of these spots in our knockout competition are going to be occupied by your unique card art. Everybody is in with a chance. So you might find Crocmaster appearing tonight, or indeed the His Tank Driver. But more on that later. Nice. <laughs> Gentlemen, anyone want to say anything before we kick this one off? We're going to get into, I think, some serious G.I. Joe book history here as well, I think. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm quite surprised at some of the picks I've seen, so this is going to be pretty exciting. I can't wait. Let's do this. Round one, fight. All right. Our first contestant should come as a surprise to nobody. It is indeed Storm Shadow. 1984. And his opponent is actually going to be the first of our lucky losers, which I'm drawing right this very second, live, for y'all benefit. Storm Shadow 1984 will be coming up against the Alley Viper 1989. <laughs> I feel slightly responsible for that because... <laughs> And you guys are totally going to think I rigged this, but I actually selected the Alley Viper. Ah. So perhaps I should talk a bit about my Alley Viper love. Well, what's not to love? It was the artwork that sold me on the figure. Because, let's face it, the figure itself, I mean, I love my Cobra Vipers in Fanta flavor. So Alley Viper was a bit of an odd-looking figure, but the artwork... The fact that you could see his eyes and the fact that the action figure then failed to, to adequately recreate that always was a sticking issue for me. I wanted card-accurate Alley Viper. I wanted that drop-down visor that would allow you to see the Viper's eyes. Let's not lose sight of the fact that I think he's probably the only Cobra or Joe with a tactical shield. And that big-ass gun is very prominent in your face. Doesn't the Shock Trooper have a shield as well? Oh, damn. Oh, somebody's always got to invoke the modern era. Yes, the Shock Trooper (laughs) does indeed have a shield. But I would call that more of a riot shield. I mean, the Alley Viper's shield is is angular, so I assume it has some sort of deflective capability. I mean, it clearly looks like a very heavy steel protective uh, barrier so i mean it, it's used to ward off gunfire and i imagine would be a pretty brutal bludgeoning tool or yeah. melee weapon i always like the uh, holes i like the little holes in the shield because that to me always suggested that you could hide behind the shield and rest the gun through one of those slots and shoot as you move forward so needless to say the artwork of the Alley Viper is fantastic, but is it good enough to take out Storm Shadow version 1, 1984? 1984. Oh, I don't know, gents. 
Any opinions on that? Subjectively, the design on both artworks is very strong. They've both got a very great design ethic. Both their poses are very cool, very, you know, very strong, very, um, you know, sort of almost maniacal, if I can put it that way. The design on the costumes, or what they're wearing, Storm Shadow is very traditional ninja looking. But let's be fair, there was no traditional looking ninja before Storm Shadow, really. And the Alley Viper is something completely left field. This is uh, when... Uh, Cobra starts borrowing from the future and starts getting these really cool, neat ideas in uh, with regards to having lots of little pouches on the shoulder, the shield, as mentioned before. To get past the design side of it, which I think that they quite equally matched as far as design goes, the quality of the painting is also very good on both uh, on both artworks. The uh, depth uh, used on both, of, both characters uh, in terms of Storm Shadow with his foreshortening, with the two swords in his hand, uh, it's pretty well done, especially in comparison to other artworks in the line, as is the Alley Viper's foot placement. And now we get into some of the issues. One of the biggest issues I have with the Alley Viper's shield, and I'm sure the artist felt this, I think that shield had to be made smaller. Uh, I think originally it was bigger. If I look at it compositionally, I think the shield originally was meant to be bigger on the artwork and that it was reduced to fit onto the card art, onto the card back, on top of the fact that his arm is missing. You cannot see his other arm. If you take some time to really, really look at it, you'll see that it's kind of missing. And you can, in a weird way, imagine how it's supposed to bend. But it just, it's, it, it looks odd. It's missing something. And that is where it has a bit of a, a fault against the Storm Shadow artwork, which, for all intents and purposes, is pretty much perfect as far as a card art goes. And, and I'm sorry I'm throwing that out there so early, but he's foreshortening. Like I said, it's great. The expression on his face is fantastic. I love it. It's like really intense. Lots of character coming through there. Uh, the lighting on him is also very good. Uh, you've got your, your stronger light coming from the left, and then you've got your full light coming from the right. You've got your Terminator line separating the lights, and it's a white character on a very bright background, and he stands out, and there's a lot of great painterly things happening there, and his composition is perfect. He He really is... Fantastic. There's nothing missing from him. Uh, aside from if you're looking at just the card art, you're not going to see his uh, foot in the front, in the foreground, which does destroy the illusion. But because the foreshortening is done so well with these arms, you get that feeling of depth immediately. So for my critical eye on this, I'd say they are pretty much evenly matched in terms of design, composition, quality of the artwork. Um, but the Alley Viper does fall short on a small anatomical error that being the missing arm and the shield. And a little bit of a personal thing. I love that artwork, but I do prefer the fully closed visor. And when I saw the I figure see. in the catalog. Yeah. <laughs> but you see, for me, I have a just, I got a different take on it. And I find the, the full visor to be more interesting. And that is another fault on the artwork versus the figurine, that the artwork has qualities that the figurine doesn't have. For example, the exposed eyes. And that is something that is missing. And I know when I was a kid, that did irritate me. I did remember that annoying me. And, and being very glad that the figure didn't look exactly like the card art. I choose Storm Shadow between these two. I'm going to first reference the Alley Viper. He's not really handling his weapon how you should. I don't like that. Uh, he should have the stock against his shoulder. Right there, he's going to be firing basically from the hip. But that's the fault of many Joes. So I'm not going to be too hard on that. The coloring scheme doesn't seem to match up with his purpose. 
Uh, it's a little flamboyant. Um, this is at the time, I'm a little bit older than I believe you gentlemen are, but I would say that this is about the time that I was kind of like looking at figures going, uh, they're going a bit different direction than I, than I was in for. But so far as the card art is, uh, both feet are on the picture. That gives points because I'm sure Paul would agree that as an artist, one of the hardest things to do when you're doing action is is the feet on a character. So yeah. I'll give him points there. Um, the shield is kind of dynamic, evokes recent shielded heroes like Captain America and whatnot. I can just imagine him slinging that over his shoulder and it looking kind of badass. Going to Storm Shadow... I don't love his anatomy just because I feel like his legs are a little bow-legged maybe. His action isn't coming directly at you. He's in more of a defensive position perhaps. That's maybe conjecture, but... That's always been something that struck me as odd. It's but not the... as dynamic a pose. He's not attacking. He has, he's curiously posed in, in a couple of his cards, but you know what? Just to play a devil's advocate, I will roll with the alley viper so Rob can... Uh, Enter the fray, being the deciding vote. I have a lot of love for Storm Shadow, but the art to me, uh, not feeling it. Neither of them are without flaws. It just occurred to me that Ali Viper's muzzle flash seems to yeah. be coming from the gas cylinder above the weapon's um, barrel. I mean, if you look That's... at the magazine, mm. that magazine loads directly into the bottom portion and not that mm. top barrel. You'll see that on a lot of G.I. Joe art, especially later in the run, as far as the card art goes, that sometimes the guns don't exactly make a whole lot of sense. Maybe they try and add more firepower than is practical. But no, I, I definitely... The gun is unique, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a compelling character. That the sculpt itself isn't really happening, but, but yeah, the art definitely works blows my mind and the fact that he must be one of the only action figures produced that's actually taking a hit someone has just unloaded on that shield dude nice spot i didn't know it has fragmented and i think one of the challenges here was that a lot of the times these guys got the figurine in front of them and you're on a deadline you're being told that you have to do this stuff in like two weeks this is done in the 80s so no digital painting is done it's all done uh by hand, so a lot of these have probably done acrylic on board with an airbrush for some of the um, sort of effects and things like that. So these guys are in such a rush that um, they are actually coming up with this artwork as quickly as possible. So mistakes like uh, muzzle flares being in the wrong place is a common feature because I think a lot of times these guys looked at these guns too quickly, didn't really take it in, uh, asked some exec, had to wait forever to get a reply, but still had a deadline, so they sort of improvised where they could. And that like is, hell, think, an exec would know about the. But that's what I'm trying to say. Like, like the physics of the firepower, is. anyway. Well, <laughs> You'd have to get that thing. from the designer. Who no, probably that, has his check and off he goes. In this case, I mean, you have got Hasbro and Paul Tuckett, and then it's possible these artworks were done by commission in New York or something. So there was probably, probably a lot of disconnect in terms of getting things forwards and backwards and stuff. I mean, all of these artworks I know for a fact started off as line art that was signed off. So the fact that nobody caught the muzzle flare being in the wrong place in the first place, it's not always the fault of the artists. It's the fault of the sort of art directors, I, I would say, and the, and the higher-ups. That is also just something that just shouldn't slip through. Our Hasbro apologist, Paul Lobsher. <laughs> no, well, no, could I'm not apologizing. Could that be a top-mounted just... RPG or something? Oh, like a I grenade mean, is, is that possible? It uh, is possible. You guys are more 
acquainted with weapons than I am, apparently. Uh, no, no, we we talk a good game, but actually, um, <laughs> no Glock on my block. Ladies and gentlemen, I think it's time to break the tie. To my surprise, we have one vote for Storm Shadow, one vote for Ali Viper. So could it be that one of the favorites, and this is a figure that topped a lot of people's list, could be knocked out by a lucky loser? It all rests in your hands, Rob. Do you want to cause an upset? <laughs> I definitely do prefer Ali Viper because he's, the pose is more action-oriented. And it feels it makes me want to play with them more than it does Storm Shadow. They also both show off a lot of the accessories and stuff. I mean, you, there's a lot of a lot of attention to detail to the figures themselves, and especially Storm Shadow. I mean, you got all these little ninja stars and a little dagger in there, and he's got his bow Which and arrow. Just gotta be pretty uncomfortable. Back. I mean, you're gonna put your, your dagger, <laughs> dagger in your yeah. sash. Yeah. Uh, you better not fail over. Like stabbed himself. In the nuts. <laughs> I'm ready to kill myself. I think, yeah, Ali Viper's colors are garish, but I mean, it, it is, you know, that's the period of time they're going into. They're kind of ramping up the color schemes, trying to draw people's attention more, I think. And I didn't notice that arm thing until Paul pointed it out. <laughs> Where does his arm go? It's like, is, is he like punching his arm upwards to hold the thing, or is it going down? It's confusing. It's super awkward. I must say that shade of orange looks a lot richer in paint than in plastic. Yeah, because so you don't get to paint a, that there's color. There's a depth. There's a depth. Well, okay. Yeah, you don't want to paint Lumo orange, but there's a depth and a kind of a, a, a richness to it that you're missing on the action figure, which, you know, once again makes it a great artwork and a less great action figure. And we are talking artworks, ladies and gentlemen. But Roberts, <laughs> back to the task at hand. I'm gonna keep Storm Shadow in this fight. I think. Overall, I probably prefer Storm Shadow. I mean, yeah, you can't see his, both his feet, but I mean, that's just a problem with the little with swivel for arm battle grip at the bottom there. Um, but and a hundred listeners just elected <laughs> to keep listening <laughs> and, not, and not click the little, you know, the two vertical lines. All right. Yeah. So Storm Shadow. You, you just save. You just save your plenty of cities from being burned down. It would have been all out <laughs> chaos. Storm yes. Shadow 1984 advances to round two, knocking out the Alley Viper. Sweet. I'd love to have a small post-mortem on, on some of these as well later if we get a chance. I think it'll be interesting. All means we could uh, talk about what the hell happened. <laughs> Incredible points by you guys. Thanks, man. <laughs> Next up, Baroness version 1, 1984 versus Airborne version 1, 1983. Ooh. It's going to get real here. Oh, yeah. That was just the appetizer. Baroness and Airborne. Okay, well, you've got a classic character like Baroness, who, in my opinion, is made sexier by the card art. The thing is, her pose, for me, has always been a little bit stiff on the packaging, but I really love her face. There's something about her face that I, I just think is really sexy. I don't need to go into Baroness and Baroness's sex appeal. Not necessarily always the forum for it, but... I think that a lot of that comes across, and in comparison to a lot of the female Joes and Cobras, Jinx, Jay, Scarlet, and Zarana, I think Baroness has got the prettiest mug. She's the best-looking card art from this era, at least in my opinion. So that's an overall winner for me. She's, she's attractive, okay? Let's not have any qualms there. 
Uh, lighting, like the Storm Shadow, her lighting is done very well. The actual accuracy of the painting on her is very good. Unfortunately, this is a difficult thing to do when you're drawing women. When you're holding a gun in their hands, you're trying to show off a lot of her femininity. And at the same time, you have to show that she's kind of strong because the Baroness is. So hiding the gun behind her torso and the arm bent creates a bit of a funny, like a weirdness in the pose. But you have to do that to keep the line going. Once again, iconic, but not that iconic, if that makes sense. Like when I was thinking of my card art picks personally... I never considered the Baroness, and it's not because it's a bad artwork per se. It's just not one of the artworks that came to mind. And in my choices originally, I went with what are the card arts that are sitting in my brain? What are the things that are immediate visual references that I can pull from before I go into the internet and before I go into my collection of card art and go through and decide what's what? The Baroness just never jumped out. I think it's just that as cool as she is as a character, it's her cartoon iteration that sticks in my head more than anything. And that has dominated this. Now going on to Airborne. Airborne is in action. This is the second card art now that we're talking about that actually has a character that's in the midst of doing something uh, that is part of his activity. Airborne is ziplining down from what we can see. But the foreshortening on him is not handled as well as it could have been. His head, because of the highlights and stuff on his shoulders, looks a bit small. There's a lot of weirdness going in on the pose there. There's a lot of technical issues I have with this artwork. The way his hand is holding the rope. The the gun sort of being skewed like that. I understand that's You're trying to sell the gun. I get that as part of the toy. Still, it just looks super odd. The pose could have been handled differently. If I squint at it a bit, which is often what I try to do when I try to see the dynamicism, the silhouette is funny. It's kind of broken for me. It, it doesn't work for me. It's just not an artwork that works for me. So airborne, I can't get past some t- technical things here, that, and, and, and it's just bugging me. So my vote's going to go towards the Baroness because it's a stronger artwork. And although maybe not the most iconic, it is more iconic than airborne's is, for me at least. And I feel that there are more rights than wrong in uh, the Baroness artwork. Also, coming from an artistic point of view, I find Airborne's an easier mark to hit if you're trying to draw him. Whereas the Baroness is a lot trickier because you really do have to get that strong European female look through. And it has to be sexy without being overly sexy. And I think that just the challenges that were posed in making the Baroness artwork and the way that those challenges were met make it a better artwork than the Airborne. So Baroness does get my vote here. And it's not because I love the Baroness, it's because I really do feel that it's a much better artwork. <laughs> Robert, let's hear from you, man. Yeah, for me, this is actually quite an easy one. I have to also go with Paul and go with the Baroness. Because like, if I imagine having a poster <clears throat> on my wall of one of these characters, I would want the Baroness. She's sexy, all that cool leather stuff going on. That's pretty awesome. And she's the only, like, well, confirmed female in a... Uh, in in this sort of like knockout rounds that we've got going here. And I think, you know, the ladies need to keep representing. And yeah, I totally agree with what Paul said with the many problems with Airborne's one. I mean, I like that he's in an action pose, you know, he's kind of doing something. It kind of suggests more like, yeah, this is a cool toy. Let me get him into this pose and, and start playing with this. But yeah, that gun, it's weird. It is weird. <laughs> I don't want that. He doesn't include so, any rope, man. How are you supposed to play <laughs> that out? You got no rope. Well, that's string and shit. You can you can do that yourself. But at least he, I mean he's in an action pose. I like I like it when the when the artworks have have them doing something exciting. You know, it's like suggesting 
play. It's just, just suggesting a, a moment in an adventure that you're going to have. Baroness's one doesn't really do that, but hers is more, it's more straight up like pin-up picture. I, and I really like that. I just want to throw in no, one good. word quickly with this uh, Baroness, just to upset the power balance a little bit. If you look at Baroness's crotch, and who hasn't, on the <laughs> artwork, you'll see that they've blacked it out quite a bit. And I think this is because they're trying to obviously not over-sexualize the character. I'm going to term this specific thing on the card art, vaginal void. Okay? <laughs> you had <laughs> I had to. I couldn't help it. I had to. The only it, it, female on our list, and you had to go in there. I had to. Well, I, I would. Oh, I would love I to, to hear your there. explanation for the Copperhead card art. In in that case. Well, there we go. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> but uh, I mean, what, he's basically wearing yellow spandex, and the the, whole, the entire picture is framed around his his crotch. But anyway, please continue. <laughs> We're talking about his Python Patrol appearance. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Bam! I think they had uh, to be so careful here with uh, the lighting on it that they just went with vaginal void because they figured if they put a, a room light or an edge light on that, it might very well have looked like she had a penis. Which is uh, something to be very careful with when you're drawing women, surprisingly. That's had to throw that, that out that there. Right there. <laughs> Not like they changed up the crotch pieces on the action figures when they were doing a female. So you know, effectively, all the female characters have a bulge. I think Paul just made the episode right there. Moving swiftly just... along then. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think that makes it two votes for Baroness. I, I would say that before the uh, conversation about card art began, I didn't even consider Airborne, but I did kind of give him a look as it went along. I think, uh, as Paul's referenced in a couple different things, the lighting is actually pretty decent. I like it. Uh, it highlights the expression on his face, which is very intense, which I dig. I will echo his sentiment about the hand being a little tweaked. Uh, that's unfortunate. And the gun seems to be a little off perspective. Forgivable for the most part. Uh, I dig the detail. I like the color scheme, contrast. Uh, going down to Baroness, I will say that, First of all, Paul, you did use the descriptor of dominating when you were descripting Baroness. I think that might be a little bit of a Freudian slip. But uh, <laughs> I will echo that there's a lot of shadows on uh, G.I. Joe card art crotches. I think you're correct in saying that they don't want to draw attention, but it also gives depth to the uh, anatomy. Baroness is the very definition of bad candy. I think we've probably all met somebody with her disposition. I dig her weapon. I remember unpackaging it. Uh, back in the day. It's kind of a signature sniper rifle type weapon, but I I'll go with Baroness as well, just because we do need some female representation and uh, that's my vote. I'll go Baroness. Clean sweep. Finish him. Flawless victory. Fatality. Nice. Well done. Chalk up our first clean sweep for the Baroness. And now that that's out of the way, I want to draw your attention to something strange that really, once you see it, you cannot unsee it. Do you guys think that Baroness needs all of that hair? I think the little horse mane that is wisping off to her right shoulder is a touch unnecessary. Uh, uh, I, I think... Oh, go, go ahead, go Paul. Uh, I was, I was I just going to say... say <laughs> <laughs> I would say um, Tom X and I, Samot. I'm in 50% agreement 
I think that the hair could be taken down a bit. I think it is necessary to be there to balance out the composition on an already difficult silhouette. But I also think it's excessive in the wrong way. If I blur my eyes, it seems to look like a very strange, dark lump. Yes. And that that is why I think it needs to be toned down, definitely. The fact (laughs) that it kicks out to the side so markedly, it jars, man. There's movement happening in this artwork that is not entirely warranted by her posture. Rob, do you have words? If I look at it, yeah, it kind of looks like they added that on afterwards. It, it, it is a bit weird. I, I'm kind of feeling it, guys. I mean, really? she could actually get some sponsorship for maybe some shampoo commercials and stuff with this card art. <laughs> but oh, I she's mean, got like, a gorgeous mane. My goodness. She's basically whipping her, whipping her hair back and forth, if you will. And I, I like it. The wilder the hair, the better. It just speaks towards... It looks like she might be kind of like... she just Something just caught her attention and she's whipping around. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, I dig it. I'm okay with it. All right. Moving swiftly along. We've got an even more diluted Lucky Loser coming up because it's being drawn from the second-tier pile of Lucky Losers. Now, that means that these characters were wild cards. These guys were only referenced once by one of our respondents. No one saw eye-to-eye on them. So, in fact, they're there in this hat on a wing and a prayer. So, which random character will we be seeing in our next round? None other than Shipwreck. Get this. Battlecore <laughs> version. What? Yeah. <clears throat> Shipwreck's Battlecore version came out in 1994. For those of you who don't have Yojo.com or 3D Joes open in front of you, that is the version that has him in a wetsuit. And this pick comes to us from Scott Centafanti. He actually gave us quite extensive reasoning on his picks, and I'd like, if I may, to read them. He listed it at uh, number nine on his top ten, so it's pretty low down there, which is making it an even more charming lucky loser. Shipwreck version two, Battle Call. Not the best figure, but I love the card art. He looks (laughs) to have just leapt out of the water, standing on a Cobra Island dock, mowing down eels. I guess if this was the cartoon, he would be shooting the guns out of the eels' hands. This is a very fitting round, I must say, because guess who Shipwreck version 2 is coming up against? None other than Firefly, 1984. Oh, wow. I'd like to get uh, the ball rolling by saying that I'm so glad we get to address a 1994 release and a 1984 release in the same matchup. Because it just goes to show... It goes to show one very important thing. Even when the action figure line was punch drunk and heading for the ropes, the art is consistently good. There Mm. are fantastic artworks emerging right in the swan song of the G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero line. When action figures were coming in Lumo colors with spring-loaded weapons and small accessories all being left on their sprue, you still had individual painted artworks commissioned for each and every one of these characters. So, as I say, I'm grateful that we have one under consideration right now. How he Mm. fares, however, 
It's in the hands of you gentlemen. I'm going to start with the uh, new kid on the block between the two artworks, that being the shipwreck. One thing that is quite remarkable with these two artworks is that these are both hooded figures. You don't see their face fully. So that's kind of cool. It's, co- uh, it's cool to have two great... Well, I-, I find it quite refreshing, at least in this podcast, to have uh, two guys that are of a similar specialty in a weird way. Okay? Don't hold me to that. I mean, what is shipwreck, really? <laughs> it seems to be a, a specialty that shipwreck moved on to. Yeah. Being you know, he was a more general uh, gunner's mate, just a kind of sailor-type character, and then graduated into a more clandestine Navy SEAL-type setting. And this artwork is reflective of that, that led also, to some, specialization. Also, in my Joeverse, I find that Shipwreck and Firefly are rivals, but that's just mine. So this is kind of cool for me, too. Curious. Uh, it is for all the curious. Is I it because say. you see the kind of maritime element with Firefly because of his association to the night landing craft? Um, you know, there is that to a small degree. But for me, it's more a case of I see Shipwreck being a, a saboteur. You know, like I see him as being somebody who would go in and, and help the Joes sort of take stuff out. Ever since I tagged the, the whole Navy SEAL term to him, it's made me think of him as that kind of character. So, less Han Solo, more Han Solo as a Navy SEAL, if I can put it that way. Uh, But I I just see them as each other's foils, and I like that. Because the comics try to shoehorn Firefly into some kind of ninja rivalry thing, and I've never really, really, really liked that. I've always liked... Take it or leave it. I mean, that's that's an element that doesn't necessarily jump out at you with this initial card art. Oh, exactly. And that's something I'm going to bring into play here. Okay, just looking purely at shipwreck card art, dynamic uh, silhouette. You got this Wolverine style pose. I like where um, I believe his name was Scott uh, Steve. Scott Centerfanti, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like where he came from. You get the feeling that he's just jumped out of the water and he's, you know, he's about to do some damage. He's busy shooting eels up like it's a shooting gallery. He's looking badass. There's some great things with the dynamicism on this piece. The problem is, is that in lieu of trying to get that dynamicism, a lot of mistakes are made. A lot of very glaring technical mistakes are made. They're quite obvious. The shoulder-head ratio is very weird. I'm referring to the shoulder on the right-hand side of the artwork, right by his head there. It's a very difficult sell. Um, it grabs my eye immediately. It feels like there's like a snake on his shoulders, you know, running past his head, and that makes the arm line. Uh, the way he's holding his machine gun, I, I can let it pass because of what the packaging is trying to do. It's trying to sell a toy. Um, I can let that pass. It's a very uncomfortable looking pose, but it does show the diving gear. And it does show a fairly interesting looking machine gun that could have been clouded by the gray part on the figurines packaging that has the instruction manual for the you know fairly straightforward rocket launcher and stand. But um, the water dripping off him, I think if they weren't using that white outline, and by this time they're using Photoshop, so I know exactly what they're doing there. They're doing a two or three pixel stroke on that artwork, and it looks really tacky for me on this. Okay, They could have used any color other than white. In fact, they should have just left it out. I think the artwork's value range helps it stand against the black and blue background fairly comfortably. So I feel that Unfortunately, from a design point, a package design point, that was a bit of a mess up. Um, I also don't like that you can't really tell that that's shipwreck. 
there's very little, and this is an autistic challenge, there's very little in that little eye mask to sell that it's shipwreck. It could very well be torpedo or wetsuit or, hell, even deep six. It could be any of them, okay? And that that's the biggest issue I have with this. It doesn't sell shipwreck to me. And yeah, hard sell, but they could have just put the diving gear on his head, you know, above that, and you could have seen Shipwreck's face. I think that would have been a great improvement on that artwork. So just to highlight those points again, great dynamicism in the artwork. The actual artwork is rendered well. It's, it's, it's a great little piece, and it does do its job in selling the dynamicism and action of the figurine uh, quite well. It fails, however. Proportion challenges uh, mar the, the actual overall artwork, and not being able to see Shipwreck's face, to me, takes away a lot of the magic. Coming to Firefly... Firefly mm, I'd just like to pause you there, man. We've got some extremely good technical points being raised by Paul there. I want to hear what a, a layperson's opinion on the overall artwork of Shipwreck is. Rob, why don't you chime in with your 25 cents? Shipwreck, yeah. The, the water looks weird, but I think he looks pretty awesome. And there's like weird blue lines. He's like... <laughs> Techno dancing or something. That's I, interesting. I like are you are you going to consider <laughs> the uh, the design of the card along with? No, the not so much. I, I was <laughs> just mentioning that. Because <laughs> I think but, um, Scott, our contributor on this particular artwork, said in the email that he didn't feel uh, particularly enamored with the with the with the lasers. <laughs> with the disco lines. Uh, yeah. The lasers don't, definitely don't add anything, but. I, I do like the idea that he is he he's about to do something. He is in in the in the middle of doing something. Yeah, I quite like this. It feels like something you'd see in a comic book. He's kind of just leapt out and he's shooting away. So yeah, I, I definitely like the way that Shipwreck looks. A positive point here is that even though he has a giant missile launcher, it is not on the artwork, which I find is a blessing. <laughs> okay, because yeah. with the battle call, they Most are all the sharing needles, you know. So. Yeah. All of the bloody pictures of this time show off their huge launches. Yeah. So uh. I, find, I find that as a refreshing personal quirk to this artwork. Jumping into Firefly now. Firefly is also a character whose face you can't really see. And that is part of the character's charm. But, okay, this artwork is very iconic for me. It's got a great design. His pose is very cool. His pose works for me. It's sneaky. He's got his back turned to us to show off his backpack. There's a lot of the what makes the toy interesting is in the artwork uh, scenario going on. Uh, some proportion issues. That's a very, very long leg. Very, very long upper leg that meets with these uh, backside there. It's it's troubling, <laughs> which kills the dynamicism a little bit. It It is a great pose. I love the pose itself. I just feel that it's not executed that well. This is one of those offenders where the gun feels like it has been added in post. Um, that the gun was pa- painted in separately and then cut and pasted into the artwork. It was never intended to be there. And I'm, t- of course, referring to the green gun that Firefly is holding the clip of, the magazine. He's holding the <laughs> magazine of that gun. It just screams of um, negligence on the part of Firefly. It makes him seem like he's dumb, that he doesn't know how to use the gun. And I'm sure a lot of kids try to get Firefly's hands on there and probably broke his thumb. So this artwork, if you're one of those kids... You can blame this artwork, and then you can blame your own common sense. And where's but, uh, the 45, man? I want my 45. That, well, there we go. Where... <laughs> no, he doesn't. He doesn't and come with the 45. That gun looks like it was part of the original artwork. That is not an afterthought. Go. That was embedded in the design. 
and obviously cool. you know what the what the action figure end product was uh, differed greatly to the artwork that was being created concurrently so it was a probably a last minute thing it's so weird because in fact, to fix this artwork, and if they didn't want to include the 9 mil, I mean the 45 cal, sorry, they didn't want to include the 45 cal in the artwork, they could have easily cut that out and then just had his arm here in the foreground holding the machine gun, well, the submachine gun rather, and it wouldn't have marred the figure too much, in my opinion, but it makes for a confusing silhouette again now if you have to look at this and, and if you had to go further than that and just paint the whole thing in black, you get a very confusing, messy section between the shoulder and the knee where the guns are involved. It just creates some weirdness that goes on there. And I'm sorry to overuse weird, but it, I can't think of anything else that really sums it up well. I also, upon looking at the figure more, I'm not sure if that's meant to be a buttstock on the submachine gun or if that's meant to be part of the strap. It creates a, uh, an odd tangent that makes me believe that it could be the strap. But then that strap is also for the backpack. Once again... Focusing in on this artwork, there's a lot of weirdness going on. The backpack being open is something I don't have a problem with because I find that it helps to sell the figure, um, especially because the removable backpack portion is one of the cool features of this Firefly. I'm sure many will agree with me. Uh, the backpack itself is also very cool and also very iconic. Uh, it is something that is, without question, Firefly's backpack. Coming back to the pose... This is something we're going to say is going to be difficult for people to get out of their heads. But it looks like he's let off a sneaky fart. And he's making sure no one is trying to see who picked up on it. Um, but that comes across with well, the Well, then I'm sneakiness. sure he's very grateful that the uh, flames are in the background and not the foreground. Of course. Um, his face is great. I love the intensity on the face. A uh, common uh, artistic mistake here when drawing faces, especially when they are hooded or masked, is that the one eye tends to get bigger than the other. I imagine this is an artistic way to show the dynamicism once again rushed. Between the two, and they really are two evils, this is probably the, the first seriously difficult decision for me to make um, in this episode. The shipwreck has so much stuff going for it. The Firefly has all of this iconic stuff going for it. But Firefly's mistakes really do bug me. Uh, the submachine gun really bugs me. The super long leg really bugs me. And I'm going to give it to Shipwreck. And it's not necessarily because Shipwreck's a better artwork. It's just I like it more. I kind of like the, hey, Bob, it's Shipwreckerine. For all the <laughs> negatives <laughs> for all the negatives that I've pulled for Shipwreck in this case, and this is not a personal preference like, oh, I love Shipwreck and this is a great Shipwreck artwork. I just feel the Shipwreck feels, it just feels better. It sells better for me than Firefly does. And that is my 25 cents and a half. I think that would class as an upset. But let me not judge this round too soon. Cujo, over to you. I'm going to go with... uh, I'll start off with Shipwreck. I think Paul was very insightful to reference Wolverine's Berserker pose on this drawing. I will say that one of the things, maybe subconsciously, that people don't take account for is that the actual explosion behind the character went later in the card art when it went to like a digitized explosion... I guess is the best way to express that. But uh, with the laser artwork, that's more suited for maybe Tron. Uh, it really kind of takes me out of the character art altogether. I-, I guess I could comment on the anatomy snafus and stuff like that. But basically, uh, Paul said that it takes a little bit of personality to have him in full wetsuit gear. So it could be any character. I'm okay with it. I like esoteric picks. So a tip of the cap to Scott. But let me move on to Firefly. 
I agree once again with everything being said. I want to say that maybe in the original card art, Firefly is actually holding a kill switch in that rifle hand. And maybe they thought that that wasn't kind of like clear enough. So they just went with it. Um, They put a gun in there, but it looks like he's maybe holding like a detonator switch, which would make a whole lot more sense. I don't like the open backpack. I feel like that's a heavy handed, like we get it. He has a lot of tools. Um, The anatomy is a little sloppy, but this is one of those cases where one right can cancel all the wrongs. And I think his eyes will carry him deep into this tournament just because very few card arts. You have Cobra Saboteur. He's obviously just done some dirty work. And he's either checking something over his shoulder, some maybe a noise he doesn't like, or he's that's a signature like, hey, you just got Firefly. I like but that. But I'm digging it. I'll, I'll ride with Firefly on this one. Cool. All right. Well, once again, <laughs> Rob carries the swing boat. <laughs> Definitely what everyone says. I mean, they both do have problems. And that open backpack is weird. But it's like, if you think about it, he probably just blew something up and... And he's kind of trying to get out of there really quickly. I'm going to go with Firefly. I like Kuja's point about the eyes. You really can't see anything of Shipwreck's face. But it's nice that there's some nice details. Even in a drawing where the character's face is almost completely covered up. You can still see sort of like intent there. Which is quite cool. So yeah, I, that's, that's, that's me for Firefly. Ooh, Firefly cool. takes it two votes to one. I can't nice. say I predicted that. But... Uh, I'm glad there was a, a, a decent showing for Shipwreck version 2. In our next matchup, the Battle Android Trooper, 1986, versus Beachhead, 1986. I feel that's a bit of a grudge match, actually. I feel like these two uh, action figures probably featured quite heavily in, in uh, many G.I. Joe fans' playtimes as adversaries. Of course. <laughs> Released in the same year and debuting in the same season of the cartoon, they both were quite big movers and shakers, with Beachhead now becoming somewhat of a a command character, and the Battle Android Troopers being the new cannon fodder and seeing quite a bit of use in that capacity. It is now time to determine which is indeed the better artwork. Kujo, let's hear from you first, man. What's your feel on Um, these two? I do have one question. Is Beachhead actually firing his rifle in this picture, or is or is it just aimed? I think it's just... Uh, it's slung low. He's not firing or aiming. His eyes are uh, looking somewhere else. Well, I, I'm not sure. I mean, if you kind of look at the edge of where the gun barrel is, it kind of almost looks like they've very the, slightly that, illustrated it. Isn't that the digital... It's uh, very difficult. Very subtle. It could go either way. Okay, I, I won't reference that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, okay, I'll start out with Beachhead. This is one of the cases where my opinion is going to be tainted because when I first saw this card art, completely captivated. Finally, the good guys had somebody that looked halfway decent. The sculpt really threw me. His head is way too large. I didn't dig it. But sticking with the art, uh, the gun... Okay. I mean, one thing that I find strange about G.I. Joe is it seems like there's weapons from every era in a lot of cases. And I feel like that he's holding like a World War II gun or something. But anyway, mm, I like Beachhead, but my issue 
and I'll end it right here, is that I just don't have a strong feeling about him. The art doesn't make too much an impression on me. Uh, the action pose is semi-animated, whatever. But moving to the bat, I would say that if you were going to pick a logo for the Cobra Army or something and just wanted to do a silhouette, I think the bat is very iconic. Uh, he kind of dropped when G.I. Joe was almost changing the appearance or personality of their line. Uh, it was the first time I remember when I first saw a bat, I was like, I didn't know Cobra had like these troops. And in the card art, it almost looks like a cyborg because if you're just judging by his elbows on the card art, that could be flesh tone. I mean, it's not really... Skating. Absolutely. So like you are a little kind of thrown at like, well, what's going on here? But the bat is... Uh, I mean, anatomy aside, the artwork reads really flat in some spots, which is unfortunate. But he's rocking it. You know, he's got the blowtorch going, and he's he's obviously got sinister intention with his other hand. So I like Bat. He's very memorable to me. So, yeah, rolling with Bat on this one. On a technical note, that pose leads me to question how exactly a Bat functions in the field. How does he swap out arms? Because his attachments, <laughs> his attachments, when all said and done, should be facing the other way. The sockets should be facing up into the air, and he just pops out his hands, and it falls into a, a an empty slot, and attaches the stump to whatever protruding socket of the attachment he wants. To have nice. to grab one of the attachments with one hand, and then what? Sort of pop out the flamethrower and jam it on. You know, you, you can't ever be dual-wielding. You need one usable hand. You get the impression that the bats aren't exactly agile. They're basically kind of just like roaming around, the, maybe like a, a Terminator, like one of the Terminators from the Terminator franchise. They're, they're not going to impress you with agility, but if they're on the battlefield, you've got to keep your head down because they've got, you know, they're going to be all over the place just with their weapons. I must say, with that card art, it could have gone either way. When I saw it, my first thought went to Cyborg. It was always those elbows. I was like, this is freaky. It blew my... Exactly. I think I was about four years old when I first saw the Battle Android Trooper, and I was like, but he's got a, a hand that's just a fireball. And I want to I want to say that they replicate this pose on a kind of a a panoramic shot of a battlefield uh, in one of the GI Joe arts I think from the Defiant era where he's kind of like coming over the hill with a bunch of bats and you're like oh man like these guys are imposing it changed the face of GI Joe and I like the fact that the faceplate is not silver it's in the same color scheme as the rest of the helmet gives you the impression that this is in fact not a viewplate like uh, Cobra Commanders, but it's something altogether different. Anyway, let's hear from somebody else. How about you, Rob? I, I like both of them. I don't have many problems with them, but I think I, I will definitely... Uh. Go pirate <laughs> on us. <laughs> I will definitely... Uh. <laughs> Which one's more like a pirate? That's the one I'm choosing. Um, <laughs> I think I'd probably also go with the bat, despite the fact that it looks like he's kind of burning his leg off. Which is so weird. <laughs> But at least he's kind of, he's doing something. You know, he's doing something really pretty cool. I mean, I like the look of, of Beecher's one as well. I mean, the, the colors are very, I mean, he looks like a proper soldier. And he's like, 
ah, I'm coming for you, Cobra. But I'm more scared of the bat. <laughs> well, you should be. All right, two votes for the bat. Looks like he's going through. But Paul, what have you got to say from an you know art point of view? Uh, I'm going to start with the bat because we all have great silhouette on the bat. It's got a great X shape going for it, and I strongly believe in a lot of you know artists and the sort of design and you know sort of production design um, business believe that a strong silhouette that has a very elemental feel, you know, like you can narrow it down to a letter or a number or something that is just shapely works very well to catch the eye and it just makes for a great aesthetic piece. And in the case of this bat, yeah, you've got this great X shape going on and it does pull your eye. I'm looking at this artwork and it's got a great layout, great uh, composition. I have some technical issues with it and this is where I think they started getting extra artists start handling some of the art chores. Because if you compare this, and this is from the same year as Beachhead, the bat artwork is not as technically accomplished as Beachhead is in, in a lot of things. Uh, the anatomy, the um, actual stroke type used in the artwork, the color use and the value balance is very, very funny for the bat. It's very, very strong contrast, which I can agree with because the bat is primarily dressed in black, uh, which is something you'll forget when you actually look at this artwork because he's got a lot of red on him that is um, coming from the you know the flame that is being projected in front of him. So there's a lot of that going on. So we don't get his true color, but having a figure that's completely black is very much Snake Eyes' territory, and he makes that really work, and here it doesn't work as well. Another technical issue I have with this artwork is that the mechanical parts on his chest, the rim around it, it almost looks like it's a T-shirt, like it's a printed shirt. There's very little in the way of depth, or in the way of it being a solid cut-out piece on the torso. So it kind of reads as a t-shirt uh, when I look at it now, because it's got little wrinkles on the side of it, which throws me off a little. The tools in the backpack, I can agree with Stephen. I think it makes a lot of sense that they should be the other way around. But that wouldn't sell the toy. Uh, you'd have all these weird pegs, and kids would be like, but why can't I fit them in the toy upside down? It's a practical so, design element a, on the toy that yeah. they plug in that way. But creating a pose in the artwork is what is misleading. Because how is the battle android trooper reaching behind himself, grabbing Congrats, this attachment, and now he's got an attachment in his one hand and a t another attachment on his other hand. How does he then remove the flamethrower attachment, plug in the claw? No, uh, it of would, course. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it means him, re have to throw him reaching away somewhere. suggests yeah. a pattern or a technical function of the bat that doesn't add up for me. And that comes through in the artwork in a lot of ways because that little piece of the artwork is a little bit confusing when you look at it. There's weird values happening. Values meaning that the colors used are from different parts of the grayscale and you know some colors put things in the foreground and the background and you've got this very funny thing going on with the backpack and the hand here that is being well lit and it feels like the hand is meant to be more in front of the character because of how it's lit regardless of the fact that it's metal anyway that's the other problem with this artwork for me as well it's very difficult to tell what textures are happening here the arms are clearly metal and the face has clearly got some kind of metal going on for it the cloth is sellable but at the same time the white things around these boots we're not really getting a good read on what material that's supposed to be we're sort of getting a read that maybe the boots are rubber, 
Um, I feel that those are textures that are missing, especially on a figurine that, that is predominantly a robot or mecha or android or cyborg, if you prefer. It's a lot of textural stuff that messes me up personally when I look at it, especially once again, the T-shirt printing for the chest plate. This artwork fails a lot in terms of it being an artwork for me, aside from, like I mentioned, the silhouette, the composition and uh, the, the playability. I mean, I look at it, and I go, OK, cool. I can put these things in the backpack. I can take them off, change these arms. Oh, that thing's actually a flamethrower. That's cool. These sell to me, but I don't think it's a great artwork. Beachhead, on the other hand, I think is a more technically accomplished artwork. It's got a great silhouette. It's got a great composition. I, I love the expression in his face, the kind of looking to his left as he's moving along. Maybe he's about to shoot somebody or he's doing some kind of strafing run. I'm going to agree with Kujo. The guns in G.I. Joe do feel like they come from different eras, although I've always believed that that helps sell the characters. You know, certain people just have an affinity for certain guns. In the case of Firefly, he likes the Swedish K. And that is something that's not really shown properly on the card art, which is sad. But I think this gun, as far as guns in the Joeverse go, is pretty well drawn. He's holding it right. Its uh, perspective is very good. The actual dynamicism of the character is very solid. The lighting on him is fantastic. I love the cool lighting or the cool uh, blues and stuff used on the left-hand side of the piece. It brings out a lot of the three-dimensionality, which I feel is missing from the bat, especially in the biggest offender on this piece of art that I haven't mentioned yet is his head. I find his head to be so flat. It looks like a sticker that's been pasted over the original head. There's something, <laughs> there's something about it that kills me. And that is why I have to give it to Beachhead. I feel that Beachhead's just a much more interesting artwork. And it had to be. Because Beachhead as a figurine is not as exciting as the bat is in the eyes of a six-year-old or a seven-year-old. There's a bat with interchangeable hands and he's yellow and black and he's got a lenticular thing on his chest. And oh my word, this toy is so cool. We don't need a cool artwork. Just sell the damn toy. Beachhead is, hey, it's a green army man. And he's got a machine gun in a backpack. And what's so special about that? So they had to make the artwork cool. There had to be a lot of personality in this artwork to sell it. And for me, I'm going to go with Beachhead because I would have that as a poster on my wall. I yeah. think you're right to reference the lighting. I mean, that's a that's a great point. I think, like you said, that there might have been different artists. There's a couple character uh, card arts from this wave that do read their heads don't look right. The bat is one of them where he's like sans neck and it looks like they just put his head right on his shoulders. The Crimson Guardman, I don't know if we're going to reference him in this list, but same thing with Beachhead. It, it's kind of just like placed there and you're not sure. It doesn't feel right, but I agree with you. Sweet. Mm. So, are the votes indeed in? Does Bat take this fight? It does for me. Uh, I'm going to stick with Bat. I, I do agree with all uh, Paul's technical points, but I, I believe that just this feels more G.I. Joe to me. Yeah, I'm sticking with the Bat. I like the bat. I like the figure. I got two of them. <laughs> well, it was a very good swan song for Beachhead. Thank you, Paul, for championing his cause. But the okay. Battle Android Trooper from 1986 moves through to the second round. So, so far, in our ultimate card art showdown, in the matchup between Storm Shadow and Addy Viper, Storm Shadow naturally took it, that being Storm Shadow version 1 from 1984, between Baroness and Airborne, it was the Baroness. Between Firefly from 1984 and Shipwreck Battle Corps from 1994, it was Firefly. And between the Battle Android Trooper and Beachhead, the Battle Android Trooper moves forward. We're now going to do another mystery draw. Dun dun dun. 
<laughs> and the next artwork under consideration is the tension countdown. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, and this was actually an artwork that Robert put on his top ten list. Damn. I don't know how well Countdown's going to fare because he's coming up against Snake Eyes version Uh-oh. 2, 1985. Oh, my word. This is going to be crazy. I don't Could we have an upset on our hands? Is it even possible? Steven, your matchups are uh, incredible. I love what you've done, man. Awesome. Uh, it's all in the hands of fate, fate of of sheer blind luck at this point, I think. What but, what yeah. year is Countdown? Countdown hails to us from 1989. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm laying eyes yeah. on this one for possibly the first time. Oh well, right. very candid opinion. Beautiful. Then I think uh, Kucho, you should take the lead on this one because uh, yeah, I think so too. We've all poured over uh, G.I. Joe's premier okay. single-carded astronaut. Oh, wait. I just accidentally pulled up downtown. Whoops. <laughs> Why would all you right, do a thing on. like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, which one is... Ca- oh, okay. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm with it. All right. Yeah. No, this is new to me. Maybe it's useful at this point to mention why I would consider Countdown on my top ten as well. One of my strongest considerations, not having an art background, is a character's function being very evident in his card art. There are some that do it better than others. And for an astronaut, I mean, it sets him apart from any other single-carded figure produced at that point in the G.I. Joe line. Of course, the Star Brigade came later, but most of those guys didn't get their own unique card art. So Countdown, he's rather unique and uh, a firm favorite of mine and a firm favorite in terms of the art stakes. There's quite a lot going on there. But anyway, uh, I'd like to hand over to, to you, Kujo. What are your uh, your remarks on Countdown? I like jetpacked characters. Uh, big fan of Boba Fett, no secret there. I don't even want anybody to attempt to explain the logistics of Countdown's gun to me, but <laughs> it is curious. Um, as far as the design goes... Uh, I do not love it. I'm not going to knock it. At least he's not two-fisting. He's got one gun. He's got a jetpack. I don't really know what the jetpack looks like. I, I've never owned the figure or anything like that. But I'm I'm okay. He's not the most striking astronaut, I think, in the mix. Uh, how many astronauts in the uh, G.I. Joe universe are there? There's an Astro Viper. Yeah, look, to date, by 1989, Cobra had the Astro Viper. G.I. Joe had Payload. And now, Countdown. I actually primarily collected Cobra. I had my best friend collected G.I. Joe. So we would kind of like bring our figures together when we got together. But not loving Countdown. But once again, I I like that somebody saw this character and saw the kind of the unique properties. And uh, is that that a gun? Like slightly below his his helmet seal? Yeah. Yes. Uh, In a blue holster? Okay. Thematically, feels a little convoluted, but I'm okay with it. Uh, decent. I move on to Snake Eyes V2. Is that where we're at? That's where yeah. we're at. Dude, this this almost feels unfair. But <laughs> Well, the lucky losers had to find their way into this list somehow. Couldn't very well but leave I, them out. I will do my best to be critical of Snake Eyes. I will say that... Obviously, we don't have to announce Snake Eyes being the most iconic visual character. His sword looks 
almost like something you might see from a medieval battlefield on his back in the card art. I mean, nothing's massive. It's almost all the way down to his mid leg, it looks like. But uh, I'm not a huge fan of Snake Eyes. I know that's probably unpopular. I just feel like that's he's fine. the diva. He's the diva of the G.I. Joe universe. You don't really get that from the comics or anything, but you, you just kind of always feel like the, the guy, he, he's all, he's always kind of standoffish. I've joked around with Steve that like that thing on his, his sash where the grenades are at, it, it may as well be a GoPro. He probably records all his fights. <laughs> but since he does not have any eyes, this is what I will say about the card art, that Timber represents his intention. And I think that it's a great shot of the dog. He's obviously pointing out an opponent to the dog or something. So the the pose is the pose is pretty dynamic. Some Obviously, may say Timber is a wolf, but you know. Oh, did, it's def- okay, you're it's definitely Snake Eyes's bitch. So uh, <laughs> we'll accept you're gonna, to, you're gonna have to edit that so I don't get death threats. But no, I, I I do I do love this character. I have huge fond memories. I remember one time I went to JoeCon and they had a Snake Eyes carded art. Some dealer did, and I was like looking at that carded Snake Eyes, and I was like could I grab this thing and make it to the, the exit before people tackle me? <laughs> like, I mean, it's such, it's such an iconic figure. So mm. I will roll with snake eyes, Rob. I like your pick. Uh, just does yeah. not have the same kind of a uh, staying power as snake eyes does. Obviously. Yeah. No. It was a, a very <laughs> tough matchup to, uh, to compete in. Oh, you know, countdowns like really guys, really. I'm a fucking astronaut. <laughs> okay. That's snake eyes. <laughs> That said, I think Countdown is rocking a GoPro on uh, on his his helmet seal. One of those oh, well, bits and bobs has got to be, or maybe the red the little red detail on the side of his helmet. You know, they both like to film what they're doing. Nice. I'm going to start with uh, Snake Eyes. This is a fantastic artwork. It's one of those GI Joe artworks that is iconic and, for all intents and purposes, is probably the most iconic. G.I. Joe artwork um, of the bunch. Snake Eyes version 1's artwork has the fault of him pointing at a plane going (laughs) (laughs) and this one has the benefit of at least he's pointing at the viewer and he's setting Timber to go and stick him so they're going and Timber's leaping out at us to like take us out. So there's a lot more implied personality coming through in this artwork versus the previous uh, Snake Eyes artwork, where that artwork was infused by the viewer's personality. But coming back to the artwork itself, once again, fantastic silhouette without Timber. I find that Timber hurts the silhouette a little bit, personally. But the way that Snake Eyes himself is painted, I mean, this is a black character printed onto cardstock in an era where CMYK was a complete nightmare to work with, and that is a printing color gamut format for those of you that don't know, CMYK takes bright colors and dulls them. So when you're using black and you start putting little bits of hints of purple, red, and yellow, uh, these colors quickly neutralize when they're printed, and it destroys a lot of the 3D of the actual artwork, a lot of the dynamicism. So uh, in that case, this artwork is sexy as hell because the color is used so well to show the uh, contours of Snake Eyes. It shows his dynamicism. It shows the three-dimensional space that he occupies exceptionally well. Uh, it's it's a really it's a really good example of how to do that well when you're doing a, an artwork of a character that's all dressed in black. Burst, of course, the bat that we spoke about a few minutes ago. 
the sword on his back is very cool. It's very well rendered because when you look at the toy, it's a very basic Felcoin style piece of plastic. And because it's the black piece of plastic at that, you don't see a lot of the detail. So it's great to see a lot of the detail brought out in the artwork. A lot of the things like the grenades and everything on his bandolier and the belts and all of that stuff comes together really well. It marries really well visually because it helps to fill in a lot of the blanks that are on the figurine itself. This was an artwork like Beachhead that had to be infused with a lot of personality to help sell the toy that is ultimately a black-on-black ninja with a few silver accents. Timbo ruins this artwork not because of its presence, but mostly because of how badly he's painted. And I'm sorry to the artist, but this is not the best wolf that he could have done. Although he did try to make it more interesting by showing a little bit of a swipe line with some paint stroke here. And it gives the wolf itself a lot more personality on the artwork and a lot more movement than I suppose it deserved originally. That's its biggest downfall is that Timber herself is not rendered as well as she could have been. And it looks like a midget werewolf i can't explain it it just kills me when you got something as well done as snake eyes contrasted with something as averagely executed as timber is it definitely does mar the artwork coming into uh, thanks man and countdown well i own countdown i i remember picking up countdown off the, the the store pig and thinking oh my god this toy is crazy this is a cool artwork for me. It's dynamic. Again, uh, dynamicism is going to come out in a lot of these uh, appraisals or critiques because these artworks had to be dynamic. But Countdown is great in that, you know, he's he's got action happening. He's got these massive rockets firing off. He's got his backpack, which is a little bit off shot, but you can see something's happening there. It's a big part of the play feature on the toy coming through. He's got his grappling gun, which I'm sure for a lot of kids when they saw that were like, okay, that's not really a gun. So that's maybe put them off the artwork a bit. It's very well executed. I love the fact that you can see space. The gun being rendered with the grapple attached to it is erroneous. That is not a feature of the toy. What Countdown could do was he could zipline. There was a pulley in his backpack and he could zipline along the included rope from the grapple hook to a sort of included nub. Am I understanding correctly that this is a zero-G character? What what if his backpack runs out of fuel, he can grapple to something to reel himself in? Or or what's the purpose behind this? You've seen Gravity, right? I have. It is infinitely useful in space to have a grapple gun, it seems. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) You always need a line to catch hold of something. Lest poor George Clooney is slipping out of your grasp. It would be interesting to try and hit a target while you're floating around, incidentally. Uh, it of would be. Too many axes. Yeah. With Countdown, I mean, I don't want to go into too many of those technical features because a lot of what makes this artwork great is all in this artwork. I feel that as good as the artwork is and as eye-catching it is, as it is, it actually, um, in comparison to the toy itself, the toy looks cooler. I find that Countdown as a figurine is actually much cooler than the artwork, but the artwork is definitely the foundation for how your play patterns could work. I am going to admit that as a kid, I never figured out that whole grappling hook slide system thing. For me, he was just boosting around. No rope needed. The rope just confused me. I thought it was like his air hose. And yeah, so I was a bit (laughs) stupid for some reason. I just never got that feature. And also, I I can, in a weird way, attribute that to the fact that nowhere in the card art is that really sold to me. It's only sold a little bit in this little white line drawing 
which I'm pretty sure I tore to shreds when I opened the packaging. So I never that that little bit of information there was lost to my seven or eight year old self or whatever it was when I had the figure, maybe six year old self. I don't know. Artwork wise, it is great. It is fantastic. And I think the reason it's not on a lot of top 10 lists is because it's not as iconic as something like uh, Snake Eyes' artwork. And I do have to agree, as much as I like Snake Eyes, I do find that he is the diva of the line. But I can't fault this artwork for anything other than Timber. And I just really, really feel that it's a much better artwork than Countdown. It's something I would much rather have on my wall. Sans Timber, to be fair. And my vote is going to go to Snake Eyes. And I was actually leaning towards Countdown originally, but... There's so much good stuff happening with Snake Eyes that it's difficult for me to say that Countdown is better. I can say maybe I like elements of Countdown more, but I think Snake Eyes is a better artwork, and that is where my vote is going to sit right now. All that remains is to hear from the man who put Countdown on his top 10 list in the first <laughs> place. Robbie, I know, it's a tough call. I mean, it's it's Snake Eyes, right? It's, yeah, a, it's a popular it's popular artwork Definitely. versus well, one that's rather unknown, but go for it. Countdown is so shiny. It looks like he's doing something really cool. He's blasting around. He's he's looking at Earth. I mean, at least that's what it kind of looks like in the kind of reflection of his helmet. He's kind of looking down on Earth and going, yeah, I'm awesome. I'm up here saving you all. <laughs> <laughs> it's just very shiny, and I like all the details in the artwork. It kind of makes the figure look better to me. Because the figure sometimes looks a bit bland, especially with just the white and the blue on the figure itself. But the artwork kind of brings that out. And yeah, I kind of like the lighting. Ah, oh, it's just, I just like how shiny it is. It's so metallic. The white does take on a more metallic look, more silvery yes. look. It's got more detail and more texture to it. And that's kind of why I liked it. And it's just basically a personal preference. I just really like this picture. Um, and I like space science fiction stuff. So even though the fact that he's that really one of only two astronauts on the team at the time, and it's like, yeah, we're all on our own up here fighting all these Astro Vipers. It's a bit weird, but I mean, taking that out of context, just the, the picture itself is really cool. Yeah, so obviously I would have picked Countdown. Over um, Snake Eyes? Yes, I would. Because cool. of the Snake Eyes artworks, I really actually do prefer his um, version 389. Because finally he's not pointing at something. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, he's he's not pointing at anything at all. Even his gun is being pointed. Exactly, he's he's freaking doing tons of stuff in, in blind his fire version. He's like, bam, bam! I don't even have to look at someone when I shoot them. You know? <laughs> well, because he probably just smacked the guy with with the stick in his in his left hand, and then just so like just shot the guy dead. You know, which is brilliant. Okay, I never so considered that. Oh. <laughs> he's that cool. <laughs> He's like, cool. He's like, screw that. I don't have to. You just, cause you just smack the dude. Bam. He flicks the Bam. thing back and then he shoots the guy and he's like, he's already looking for his next target. That guy is, is iconic, but me. I wish that some of the card art was more ambitious, to be honest. Like, on the back of the, the Cobra Twins, there's a picture of, it looks like he's looking into a mirror and it, it's more of like a reflective picture and it gives that character a lot more depth to me. It feels like with mm. Countdown, if they would have kind of made it a little bit more ambitious, because basically he's just kind of like, here I am in space, here's the jetpack. I felt like if they would maybe done a profile shot featuring like the power of that backpack and kind of him. I'd like you to go into that. A profile of the power of the backpack was sort of, so you'd have more from what, like side. a vanishing point, like he's, he's blasting off from something. If I was going to draw an astronaut, 
I would either want him coming at the camera with the jetpack being that propellant or a profile shot where you're seeing half the character, half the backpack and maybe seeing him like look into the vastness of space, you know, in terms of characters blasting off, I offer into target. evidence, the target, yeah. trans atmospheric reentry, whatever acronym, acronym, well, acronym. Yeah, he's sort no of blasting towards us. Well, He's, he's doing a flyby. He's definitely passing us overhead, but uh, he steered himself towards us for a closer look. I liked Rob's insight about the actual reflection that he is. He's looking at Earth and the folly of man from the isolation of space. Mm. Good times. Something I, two things I want to jump in with quickly. Snake Eyes, if you look at his silhouette, is very similar to the bat silhouette. Of which, Watch yourself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. No, no, but you know what I mean? Like, it, it's a very strong silhouette, and it's also got that kind of X shape going for it in a lot of ways. Like I mentioned earlier, it's quite a strong device to use. Uh, Countdown himself has also got a very strong silhouette and works really well, but something I can't get past, the reflection in his helmet kind of looking like an eye and the silver parts on the bottom looking like teeth. And he kind of looks like a weird kind of Zaku kind of design. It's always gotten in the way of my brain and something I, I didn't mention earlier because I yeah, felt maybe a he's got a big sensor. comical grin yeah <laughs> like big I just ruined it for me grin. thanks Paul he's ruined it for both thanks. of us he's finally put his finger on something that's always kind of bugged me and stuck in the back <laughs> of my mind about Countdown's design it does throw me off it's the thing on this artwork that stops me from fully committing to it which and something that wild. came out uh, that Kujo mentioned that, uh, that bugs me now is the fact that, yes, his helmet seal does seem to overlap with his holstered pistol on his chest. That is not true of the action figure. There's a very Mm -hmm. clear gap between where that bit of sculpting uh, of the holster picks up. When you you say somebody's an astronaut, you're saying, like, you're putting yourself out there that there's a lot of technical details that people are going to want to look at here. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if he was just flying around in our atmosphere, whatever, but... That's, that's all I got. Snake Eyes takes it two votes to one. All right, so our next matchup is between Snowjob, 1983, and another lucky loser, which I am drawing at this very second. Snowjob, 1983, will be coming up against another figure from 1983. This time it's Destro. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. I really know which one I want to go with, but as uh, do I, if I had a vote. <sighs> <about that. laughs> but alas, <laughs> you do not. <laughs> not today. <laughs> okay, cool. I've got both of them in my sights. Just wanted to make sure. I I had to specifically go out of my way just to make sure I had the original Snowjob card versus the one that was done for the 21st anniversary re-release, as I have issues with the re-releases artwork versus the actual original um they're not major it's just a few contrast issues that i don't like Look, I'm okay glad you uh, you made light of that because the 25th anniversary kind of aped the original artworks most of us would agree the original artwork was stronger some cosmetic changes were made because accessories changed of course. but apart from that I don't know, man. There ain't no school like the old school. I agree. And actually knowing the artist on the now defunct uh, CG Hub, from what I understood, he really loved doing the artworks. And I think that he, for the most part, he did a good job. But for this episode, I really do feel that we need to focus on the old school uh, or the originals, as it were. You know, when we're talking about these artworks, to, to give them the right kind of appraisal and to really make sure that 
we are talking about an era here. You know, I don't want to talk about artwork that was retconned, so to speak, and that has, like you said, weapon changes and small cosmetic changes that don't work. So that's at least where I'm coming from. Steven, actually, with the eagle eyes, picked up something that we were talking about. The V2 Snake Eyes original art, he's pointing directly at you. In the 25th iteration, uh, he's actually pointing slightly weird and his fingers tweaked. So yeah. just like little subtle changes, you're like, that's one that I don't quite understand. Do you think they change it just because of the nature of the aggressive pointing at you? It could be that. They didn't blunt in Timber's teeth. <laughs> and they didn't fix Timber, which they should have, but whatever. <laughs> uh, it's kind of an interesting choice. Incidentally, Snowjob is one of my uh, contributions. Uh, it's one of the guys that lives on my list. I do love this artwork. I love the fact that he's mid-air. It's very adventurous. You know, you've got a character that is mid-air. They didn't try to paint any kind of mountain or snow in there. They've just got him launched in the air. He's in a sort of crouched position, holding the uh, XLM uh, LMR rifle in his arms, uh, which is uh, something that debuted with him. And he's got a really, like, intense look on his face. And for a character that is, once again, has most of his face covered, he's got a hell of a lot of personality going on there, which I really appreciate. The um, color use on him, when painting white, you always try to make it more interesting. So the introduction of subtle green, subtle purple, bits of blue uh, to help the white sell well and not have it sell as silver is really impressive to me. He's got fairly good proportions as far as his era goes in terms of the artworks. He's got a bit of a foreshortening issue on the elbow that is most to the left, but I can excuse that because it still works together. Silhouette is fantastic. The reduction in the ski poles doesn't bother me because you're trying to fit this on a card. And something about this artwork that I think is unique versus stuff that comes later, and I think Destro shares the same curse here, I think these artworks were painted with the explosion in the background as a very early consideration. So a lot of that coloring is actually coming into both artworks, as it does with many of the artworks in the line. But as you can see later on, they start adding thin little white lines to help separate it. On a technical level, Snowjob's values contrast really well with the background. I think he pops out really well. He's uh, cocooned by the yellow part of the explosion, which definitely helps to strengthen the focal point. But I am going to mention one or two oddities about the artwork itself, and this translates into the figurine. He's wielding that rifle left-handed, which is interesting. I know why they did it, to fit him in the card art. It's not to imply that he's left-handed at all, because his personal defense firearm, I imagine, is in that holster that is shown on his right leg, which is the leftmost part of this artwork, to me, which implies he's right-handed. Secondly, there's a cable running from the XL, uh, XLL... X... Ah. XLMR that leads uh, into his backpack and that is something that's not evident on the figurine and is something I don't think a lot of people really noticed going forward. I think a lot of people read that as some kind of strap or something. Uh, looking at it now, it is something I find that is missing considering that it is a laser-powered rifle and he makes it to the scene not too long after Grand Slam does. So they both, I feel that... This uh, flash. Of, flash, sorry. That I uh, meant Flash, sorry, Steve. Um, so I kind of missed that that detail's not in the toy. Just in closing, old snow job here looks great. I think a lot of the details, a lot of the textures, and a lot of the value separations are handled really, really well, which makes this a great artwork. Now we get to Destro. My two cents on the XMLR yeah? before you put that to bed is that 
what Snowjob is wielding is a progression from what Flash had in 82. Yeah. Flash had, you know, the heavy duty laser that needs a power pack and a cable hookup. What Snowjob has is the compact or the rifled version, which is independent of a power source. It's self-contained. Oh. No, I, I get that. I which just makes thought it maybe a more dependable weapon for someone with his speciality, being in the outdoors. And it being a laser rifle, perfect sniper weapon. So no, I'm it's, I agreed. No, I agreed, because it doesn't get affected by wind. It only gets affected by the sort of curvature. And, and I'm not even going to go into all that stuff. Well, but, laser light degrades over distance, but still, I mean, the kind of distances that he's dealing with as a sniper, yeah, yeah he would make something go away quite neatly. And quite quietly as well. Um, you know, if, if we have it's to... the smell of burning flesh. Now we get to Destro, and Destro is a confusing piece of artwork for me because you got this very popular character, or a character that's being that's going to be groomed into being a very popular character or a very pivotal character in the series comics and the uh, animated series, and thus should be handled with a bit more care. I feel that there are a lot of issues with Destro's and artwork. The silver is not particularly well rendered in comparison to some of the others in the line, especially Joe's that have come before him. We've mentioned uh, Flash, we've had um, Snake Eyes, we've had a few other guys that we've mentioned that have had things like that rendered better. I don't like how the folds are handled in this character at all. The muscles, as cool as they are, they just feel, it just feels weird. I think that the term I'm looking for is wobbly when I look at this artwork. And it also feels a bit unfinished. There are color considerations happening here that feel unfinished. They don't feel artistically simple and uh, smart. They feel like that's how far they got, and it had to get shipped off to the printers. So I think this artwork suffers from maybe being rushed or maybe being put onto the back burner or whatever while considerations were made for its design. Destro's head is very well handled, though. I do like that. I just feel that there could have been more attention put into some of the rendering for the metal here to sort of sell the vac metal chrome look that he has. The uh, necklace is cool. It's great to see the necklace being sort of thrown into the air a little bit. It does give the character some movement before I even... Also makes it a very obvious liability. I mean, it's not like he's got dog tags. That's a heavy, like, piece of bling he's got flinging around there. Damn right. would get hell of irritating, man. I I agree. I mean, to have something smacking against your chest while you're running or something is really smacking irritating. Smacking you in the forehead. <laughs> yeah, when you take a jump, it's like, Pong! what was that? That was Destro. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, the gun is so sexy, actually. I really love how well they've drawn the gun. I just It's just marred by the fact that it's positioned in a bad way. It's It's got an ill positioning. It's sad. It It does look all bent out of shape. In a maybe, weird maybe way, the handle is offset like that. But you see, that's the thing. In a weird way, if that was the case, that would still be very cool. But it's just sadly not the truth of it. And nope. it's just a pity. And it's one of the few things that he comes with, aside from a briefcase, which is not shown on the actual artwork itself. And I think that's maybe just to get kids away from the fact that maybe this figure's like their dad and he carries a briefcase around. Ah, but you it's know, not maybe... a briefcase... Yeah, it's, it's very, a that... very important difference. I mean, it is a backpack designed to be worn as such. True. To me, it's always come across as briefcase, but then again, it's not on the shot. And 
to be fair, if they painted it on there, would it have worked anyway? Well, that's debatable because most of his shoulders are taking up the shot. And Destro, the enemy, would have covered most of the backpack anyway. So it would have looked like a weird black block. I, I saw it handled very well in an Action Force comic book. They mm. had a Destro dossier included in the issue. Mm. And the artist illustrated him with his gun in hand and backpack on back. And it's faithful to the action figure. And I will put a scan of that image up uh, on the Facebook group accompanying this episode. That would yeah. be really, nice. really awesome. I'd love yeah, that. It's nice. It's really, really nice. Anyway, yeah. so that, that's a, that will be an example of Destro being handled very well. This artwork, uh, I take it, Paul, uh, you're yeah, probably going to go, go with uh, Mr. Snowjob. Mr. Blowjob. Mr. White and Snowjob. Even if, okay. even if Snowjob wasn't something that I added to my top 10, I still would have voted Snowjob over Destro just because of the technical accomplishments in the artwork itself versus the technical failures, in my opinion, of uh, the Destro artwork. So, yes, Snowjob or Blowjob gets my vote. Snowball? Snowball. Oh, dear. <laughs> Cujo, what do you say, buddy? I will start out with Arctic Trooper Snowjob. I would echo a lot of the sentiment that Paul threw out. I think that the detail on this artwork had to be done correctly to make it look right. There's some fur accents. Um, he is rocking a proper beard, which I know a few of us can appreciate. But <laughs> Red beard, no less. I mean, Sexiest of the lot. I'm not going to go on too long just because the fact that Destro sort of walks the line of almost being irredeemable in this picture. Um, mm. Just because when when Destro first dropped, you do have Cobra Commander, and he's in a blue double-breasted kind of suit jacket type thing, and he's in the theater of war. And Destro was another step in that direction where he's a bit outlandish. The silver head kind of defines him as a character. The shading on it is done pretty decently. Above the brows, it brings the artwork forward from his face. And that, that saved that picture. I do like some of Destro's character designs, particularly his wrist weapons, etc. I think that's nice to kind of flex that. Once again, the bling, nice motion. I, I just kind of assume that Destro rarely gets his hands dirty. So I'm okay with him flashing, you know, some, some uh, hardware. But, yeah, I mean, this is an easy choice for me. I'm going to go with Snowjob because... At least in the card art, they do show his eyes, and that was a nice touch to kind of give you a little bit of a window in there. Mm-hmm. And I just I just dig the action pose. I'm with Paul on this one. Rob, what you got? I like both of these, but like, um, what's his name? <laughs> Snowjob. Snowjob was, was definitely in my top 100. For my top 10 over him, I chose Sub-Zero, but I think kind of his, his card art for me sort of felt more cool. I mean, definitely Snowjob has this awesome, like, he's jumping in there, he's about to shoot someone, that's awesome. But out of these two, I'd, I, I, would, I would go with Destro. I just like how menacing he looks. And, you know, his fists are you know, up in his face there, and he's like, ah, die, G.I. Joe. Hmm. It definitely <laughs> so, has a lot of personality. Yes, it, it all comes forward there. He, I mean, he's definitely, he's, he's mashing his fists. He's probably, like, grinding his teeth behind that helmet, and he's like, <laughs> ah, damn you, Cobra Commander! Why'd you say retreat again? We're about to win this thing. <laughs> My vote goes with Destro. I just, I just like how 
If if I were to see these two on the shelf, I probably would have chosen Destro. Hmm. Nice. All right. Cool. The dissenting opinion. I'm glad you yeah. mentioned Sub Zero. That was indeed one of your picks. And for those of you who are not that familiar with uh, 90s Joe, Sub Zero debuted in 1990. Also an <laughs> Arctic Trooper of that era and a damn fine artwork. And he might be in with a shot because it's time for another lucky loser. Well, actually, you know what? With with uh, with Rob's opinion, he he mentioned something that the artwork, like if he saw the two characters on the shelf together, uh, that's gonna swing my vote. I'm gonna go with Destro too. You're yes. kidding! <laughs> Mind blown! Big time! Upset. Big time! They were gonna be riots in the streets, ladies and gentlemen. Look, I I do agree with Paul that uh, that Snowjob's technical merits far outweigh, but. When you're looking at those card arts together, you're like, you know what? I'm going to pick this guy with the silver face. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Yes. I did not see that one coming at all. So <laughs> Destro proceeds to round two over Snowjob. Very good. It's looking like a very uh, Cobra second round when we get to it. Yeah, it's going to be hectic. I'm afraid so. <laughs> Maybe G.I. Joe can, can come back swinging uh, in this next round because we have Ripcord from 1984 yes. matching up against a lucky loser. And that lucky loser is... <laughs> got to be kidding me. No. The Cobra Hiss Tank Driver. Kucho, oh, you, yes. got, you got your wish. What? <laughs> who, who is it? Who is it? Because you guys went dead. <laughs> the Cobra Hiss Tank Driver. Oh, shit. Oh, I'm <laughs> so sorry, guys. <laughs> I mean, this was in the second tier of Lucky Losers, because only one of our respondents, that being this gentleman that we're talking to this evening, Cujo, picked out a card that comes from the 25th anniversary. It is a vintage character, so I, I do I do agree. It should be uh, under consideration with along with these others. Um, but they decided to give him his own card art to coincide with his single card release. And <laughs> why am I doing all the talking? Kujo, I'd like you to weigh in with uh, your thinking on... Uh, uh, you want, you want me to kick off? Okay, well, I'll, I'll start with his. There's probably a few people that are listening that may have to kind of hit Google right now to track it down. But my logic is that I wanted to look at characters that did not receive card art initially, like vehicle drivers, and then when they went back and gave them them, how they treated it. So first I looked at Copperhead. Once again, he was one of my favorite characters from back in the day because he felt like the first physically imposing Cobra presence, aside from Destro. But you felt like Copperhead was kind of that guy that's in the trenches. But anyway, uh, to go with the Hiss driver... I almost felt like a dare. Whoever drew this was just like, you know what? We're not even going to put any weapons in this guy's hands. He's just, he's, he's stepping onto the battlefield, just kind of rocking his fists. And I, I think we would all agree that the Hiss driver is not a physically imposing sculpt. I mean, in many aspects, he feels a little bit effeminate, but. Especially uh, in that artwork. Oh my goodness. Oh, it's crazy. It's I like, there's no, I love that the fact that this guy surfaced because it's one of those card arts that you almost dismiss at first glance, but you look at it and you start to realize that this guy must be completely outside his mind. He's got no <laughs> weapons. He's just like, yeah, I'm a tank driver, but now I'm outside and I've got my fists. What's up? So, yeah. so there it is. 
I, I need to I need to pull it up maybe while other people are talking. Who who's the character that we have him up against? Uh, Ripcord, Ripcord from nineteen eighty four. Okay, yeah. I, I think the the Joes might have the upper hand here. Not for lack of Halo trying. jump. Well, I mean it's if nothing else, it now you're gonna remember the his driver's card art. But Ripcord Halo Jumper, one of the kind of early shots where a Joe is static on the card art. Uh, we just referenced Snowjob, but this is another thing where this guy's in free fall. Uh, weapons free, which that makes a nice matchup with the uh, his driver. But uh, I dig it. It's it, it's an homage to old school kind of U.S. military look. Well, probably the international military, but they got the backup shoot in front which is one of my favorite accessories when it comes to figures. I love when they include that little waist strapped uh, parachute, but uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the uh, rip cord on this one just for the source. You know what? Scratch that. I'm going to rock the hiss driver, Oh man! but I do, I 100%. do appreciate this artwork. The lighting is a little diffused, but all things considered rip cords, a nice choice as well. Hiss driver. I'm going to roll with you till we fall apart. <laughs> Just like a history. <laughs> you and me, buddy, with the uh, waist high boots or whatever. You and me, buddy, we Very steady. big head. <laughs> yes. Wow. Cool. Well, um, Rob, <laughs> you wanna you wanna chime in, man? This is very interesting because R- Ripcord was one of my was one of my top ten. I put him at number four. I ranked them. Mm-hmm. Um, I just yeah, I just liked as Paul's favorite word the. Uh, Dynamism that died, you know, dynamism. Dynamistic. I think the real word is dynamism. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what the fuck the word is, but he's definitely in action. You know, this is an action shot. They kind of, someone else is dropping with him. They kind of quickly took this pick. Like, yeah, this is going to look cool on your Facebook page. It was Snake Eyes Um, with the GoPro. (laughs) (laughs) He's dropping down. He's got his gun over his sort of left shoulder. I just like the the movement, you know. He kind of he's falling down. He's kind of it looks to me like his eyes are closed. He's kind of like taking a moment, kind of considering. I was still just know, looking down as at his <laughs> altimeter. Or he could be doing that even. Yes, like either it's his nice eyes are closed. He's considering. Yes, actually, now that you mentioned, yeah, it's definitely it's actually he's doing something. He's looking down. He, he's sort of hey, when do I need to pull the shoot? He's cutting it die. fine. Look how close the needle is to the red. Like yeah, he gets his kicks by like. Only hitting the silk at the last, last possible second. And he's a halo jumper, so that's kind of part of. The, that's what he know. do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So th- there's so much you can deconstruct uh, this artwork into. I will say off the bat, the thing that bugs me the most is an anatomical thing, mm-hmm. and it's his right leg. I know why artists would draw it that way, and that's to make it look like he doesn't have a stump. But given the, the perspective that we have, mm. it should look like a stump. It, we should not be able to see his boot behind his leg. And that's yeah, the leg on the leftmost side of the card. Yes, that's correct. Okay. It's true of ripcord. It's also true of freefall from the 90s. Also mm. has his leg kicked out so that you can see this is not a, you know, he's not an amputee. But it's not, it's not anatomically correct. But you can see of, that by looking at the figure. Exactly, it comes yeah. up right perspective a bit. Picture. I think it, it's it's a bit insulting to your audience to, to to make that concession, but yeah, you could make the allowances that the air current is blowing his appendages around. Yeah, it could be. It's kind of like whipping his, his legs a bit, so it's kind of pushing it a bit further out than it would normally go. So that kind of <laughs> saves it. 
And I just love the story you just told, Kuja, about the Hiss driver. I just, hmm. it makes him look a lot more interesting than I would have considered. Yeah. Well, he kind of looks like a Power Ranger in a little <laughs> he way. He does. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, I mean, the thing that is, like, go. <laughs> there, there's, there's a couple different iterations of the Hiss driver. Some of them are really endearing to me. Uh, there's one that's almost a solid black, and you kind of feel like this character is unappreciated, but... Uh, yeah, the Hiss Driver, a strange sculpt. And I've heard Steven reference on one of your different sessions that this guy is, he's kind of kind of standoutish, at least early on in the Cobra ranks, because very few people are a solid red. So, mm. it's yeah, an interesting character. He's very cool. And he does look interesting, sort of like this punchy hands thing. What I, what I noticed there, I mean, like his original artwork, obviously it's just with him sitting inside the Hiss tank. But what I noticed in many of the early artworks for vehicles is that it seemed like the vehicles were driving backwards. <laughs> because if you notice on the ground in front of many of the vehicles, I mean, especially the Hiss tank, there are tracks on the ground. Yeah. They're moving in marks. convoy. They... Oh, wait, yeah. he's perfectly moving in convoy with the person in front of him. It's <laughs> like, like oh, we've got to make sure I match the tracks. Can't have multiple tracks, you know. Paul, did you just say something about the sand people? Yeah, he's a sand people. Classic. <laughs> I love it. I was just thinking the same thing. Uh, but it, that's it, weird. It, his tank drivers hide their numbers. Yeah. <laughs> Drive a single file. Yeah. There's one his These tank two last points. Too accurate for sand people. No. Yeah. <laughs> Only Imperial troopers are so precise. What could be a Show Straw gets a point. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, he looks very interesting, but I'm going to stick with my top ten choice of Ripcord. Very good, sir. And another uh, point to Ripcord that I'd like to enter before Mr. Technical gets uh, gets <laughs> fired up is that it's a rather plain figure, kind of uninspired, but there's so much going on in that artwork. You're like, yes, this is a play pattern waiting to emerge from this packaging. The second mm-hmm. I put all this stuff on this guy... He's ready to barrel out of a plane and into the, you know, into the blue. Um, mm. The his driver as a figure, he's kind of used. Be bound. He's, <laughs> there's, there's not a great deal that the solitary figure suggests, uh, which is kind of why he's got this hapless, like, yeah, shoot me, kind of <laughs> pose. I'm gonna come at you with these fists, because you know his his shtick is he's a vehicle driver. He sits mm. in the his tank. So I mean, credits to your suggestion, Kujo. I mean, it, it's nice to see these guys getting some focus and getting some love. But I just come back to the fact that there's a reason why he was shoved in the his tank to begin with. He's like one of those characters that has all the tenacity of somebody who's like six five, two forty, but he's just like 150 pounds and Sorry, you know, soaking wet. So. We're metric. <laughs> oh, my bad. But I know what, he, what he's <laughs> basically saying conversion. is he's small. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's tenacious. He's got the uh, Napoleon complex going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a true believer of Cobra. He's like, I can get this done even go. without my cool vehicle. <laughs> totally. Right, it looks like we have a tiebreaker on our hands. Paul, mm. what do you got to say about the artwork themselves? I'm going to start with Ripcord because I love that artwork. For me, when I look at the artwork, I did try to rationalize it by saying he's looking at his altimeter. But a part of me does like the idea that he's sort of closing his eyes. It's kind of the calm before the storm. Uh, It's kind of a superstitious thing he likes to do is maybe close his eyes, 
for like just a second before he opens them and um, pulls the chute. And I like that moment. There's a moment that's happening here that I really love um, with Ripcord that gives the, the artwork a lot of depth, a lot of like pathos, you know, or pathos. Nice. You prefer. I do find that that foot is annoying. And I do agree with where Steven's coming from in terms of it had to be put there. I think it could have been put somewhere else as well to make it more technically correct. It does irritate me, but I'm not going to let it irritate me for this uh, little observation on him. The detail on this artwork is phenomenal. Uh, The second shoot, the air tank, all the stitching is great stuff going on there. The helmet is really well realized. The little window of personality in the goggles is great. And I love the blue full light on the top of the, the artwork, which implies that he's in the big blue. And when I say the big blue, I mean the sky, not the ocean, um, <laughs> which I really, really dig. I think it's fantastic. Coming to our friend, Senior Histank, this little yeah. guy, wow. Okay. In my <laughs> honest opinion, the best Histank driver, because all of the Histank drivers, with the exception of the original vintage Histank driver, are all Frank and Joe's. And um, I think the best one is actually the one that they did for the His Tank that elevates itself. The version, I think it's the His Tank 5 or the His 5. It's uh, the Stealth Fighter His Tank. I love that His Tank driver. Uh, it's sad that when the canopy's closed, you don't really see that figure too much because I really like the, the use of the parts of the Battle Armor Cobra Commander. When I come to this artwork now, what I find that is really odd is that a lot of the details on the artwork are not present in the original figurine. And that's random. (laughs) Okay, that's super random. Because they match sort of visually, but they also don't. I think it's because because the artist didn't really have the modern figure to really draw from. I think he had the vintage to draw from and had to modernize it as much as he could. And what he did here is actually pretty good. I do find that the execution of the artwork is a little bit juvenile in terms of other artworks in the line. I think, although in that regard it stands out in its own merit, it's very cute. I think that's the best word I can think of this artwork. It's very cute. He's got his arm up, as we've mentioned. He's doing his best Cobra Commando impersonation because he's like up shit creep without a his tank. <laughs> and it's very cool. He does look like a Power Ranger. There are a lot of cute little niche things about him, but I got to say Ripcord, and I don't want to, but I'm going to, because Ripcord's a much better artwork, and it would be kind of criminal for me to not choose Ripcord over the His Tank driver. However, I am very happy that the His Tank artwork has been brought to my attention, because Kujo was right, I've never given it too much of a look. I've just never cared. And now that he's brought my attention to it, I kind of want one of these on card now to have that <laughs> artwork to commemorate this episode because I think it's a really cool thing to have now. I think it's made cooler by the fact that we've got it on the episode and that Kujo introduced us to it. Go, we, go, we Power found... Rangers! Mighty Muffin Power Rangers! <laughs> we've probably had the single longest conversation about the Hysteriver in recorded history. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> But sadly, it's time to say goodbye to the oh. his tribe. See ya, buddy. The tribe is where you came from. Our last matchup of the first round. Whew. Pits 1985's Flint against 1983's Torpedo. Mm. Yeah, Pedo. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it's yeah. a spear gun versus a woefully undersized shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> but the pose is classic. In fact, the poses on both are classic and for completely different reasons. I'd say in this matchup, Ripcord and Torpedo are in the same pantheon of action poses. Mm. And Flint is kind of just posing, <laughs> as Flint does. And saying, yo, Joe. Yeah, that's like a cartoon intro pose. Absolutely. And it will be very intriguing to see which one comes out on top. It's just very recently been my birthday. And one of my friends, and I'm going to send a shout out because uh, she went through the trouble of it. One of my friends, uh, a girl named Caitlin, actually went and used this image and superimposed my name on it and wished me happy birthday. So it was like, happy birthday, Paul. And it had this Flint artwork, which I thought was pretty cool, considering, you know, a lot of people just leave you um, happy birthday messages, which are great, and I love them. But when guys, guys who know me and who know that I love G.I. Joe, when they go to the effort of trying to do something Joe-themed, I, I think it's always cute, and I always appreciate it. So this Flint artwork was used, and it is so funny, because it ended up, this is the podcast that would follow after my birthday. And something, I, I can't get over it. And I really should, but that gun really does bug me. Oh, man, okay. damn, did I jinx it? Come no, on, surely it's, there are conceivable yeah. shotguns in that size. It looks more like a pirate gun, uh, like a pistole <laughs> or whatever they call it. Because uh, I think the pose is very blunderbuss. cool. <laughs> blunderbuss. I think he's, like, a lot of Flint good lock, things are happening. Flintlock, that's it. <laughs> a lot of great things happening with this artwork. Uh, his pose is very strong. He's very, like, go team with his arm up, and he's holding his shotgun like a teacup. Uh, that, that just throws me off. It's not so much the gun, it's just how he's holding it. It's so prim and proper. Like, I've got my shotgun, and it's here in front of me, and I love it. Go, Joe. And it, he's cool, but that just throws me off. Um, Look, from the torso up... This is yeah. a textbook G.I. Joe card. Oh, very much so. But it has to be for Flint. And that's the catch here. It has to be. Flint is very textbook. I mean, he's the he's the darkest side of, of Duke in a lot of ways. He's cooler than Duke. He's a little bit... asinine, a little bit uh, smarter. Yeah, he's got a... A little bit more roguish. Of course. And, and that's the thing. That, and his arrogance comes through in this card because he's like, yeah... It's almost like he's going, go Flint, <laughs> you know? <laughs> or like, he's just throwing a grenade and he's like, fuck yeah. <laughs> you know? I thought I he's puckering that. up for Lady J. Yeah. The, the, fist, the fist is rather suggestive. The, the cool thing about... <laughs> it's not the size of your shotgun, honey. <laughs> the cool thing about this card is that you can get a sense of what he sounds like by looking at it. And I know that's a rather esoteric thing to say when we're looking at images, but I do get an idea of how he's supposed to sound by looking at this card. And the face is very well done. Exactly. Uh, It made me kind of look at the action figure with a bit of contempt. I wanted that head sculpt. Yes. With the beret at that kind of proportion to the jaw. Yeah. Instead of just really, really overly peaked beret and this kind of somewhat goofy grin. He grin. Yeah. So, you know, with that being said, you know, a strong silhouette for Flint, some great esoteric qualities. At first glance, one or two small anatomical issues, uh, really thick neck first, thin arm on the right-hand side, things like that. I'm not going to let that bug me too much. 
because the pose here, like I said, he's holding his shotgun like a little bit of a teacup, and that just that does bug me. It's but just other... a prop, dude. Have you seen the size of his biceps? No, of course. Holy shit. Of course. The thing is, the the thing is, Flint can actually hold a shotgun like that. There's no qualms there. I mean, the man is strong, and you get that impression from the artwork. You get strong, iconic. Put him on a trophy, you know. You've won the Flint Award, you know. Kind of feel from him. He's great in that regard. But Torpedo, what a fantastic artwork Torpedo has. I think there's very few G.I. Joe artworks that have this kind of angle or go as far as they've gone for Torpedo's artwork. It's very brave. It does the same thing that Firefly does where we see the back of the character, which is rare uh, in the in the card art. And I think he's handled really, really well. He's not a skydiver. He's... A diver, and you definitely get that feel. He's a um, Navy SEAL, so he's both, actually. Yeah, yeah, well, there you go. But what I'm trying to get at is that we have a figurine where we actually on an elevated position looking down at him. So we definitely get the feeling that he's diving down. His gun is done well. The backpack could have been handled better, but if it was me, I would have made it a bit bigger to make the whole having to draw his butt there. Uh, a little bit of an easier task. The color use is very good, and the textures are very good. I, I get the feel that this is a wetsuit. Um, it's not rubbery. It's got that wetsuit look. And the artwork itself seems very 1970s explorer, adventurer, and I really go for that. In this case, my vote's going to go full-on for Torpedo, just because I think it's such a fantastic artwork. And I get this intensity from his eyes, you know, with the little window that shows us his personality. And I love the posing, and I love the dynamism. If Flint was up against somebody else, I think it would have been a tougher competition for me mentally. But Torpedo takes it for Paul. Torpedo. Just to play devil's advocate, would Flint beat Snowjob? No. <laughs> ah. There are technical considerations that go into Snowjob's artwork that aren't quite met in Flint's artwork. There's very little I can fault on Snowjob's artwork, whereas I really hate the teacup shot shotgun thing for Flint. It really does irritate me. But... If he's holding his gun in any other way or doing something different with that hand, I think Flint would be a much stronger artwork for me personally because that face is really great. I really love the personality that comes in the face and the detail that goes into the shells and the shirt and pants and the camo. Everything comes together really well. It's just the damn teacup shotgun really annoys me. I'm going to nominate Robgo next because I have a sneaking suspicion of how this is going to unfold. Though, feel free to upset me. I love upsetting you. <laughs> Who's it going to be, Rob? Flint or Torpedo? <laughs> and let us know what your thinking is. Yeah, definitely Flint. He's very iconic. He looks like a G.I. Joe. Like, there's nothing more G.I. Joe than what he's doing at that moment right there. Like, you imagine a G.I. Joe, and you open your eyes, and you're like, what? There's G.I. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and then Torpedo, once again, is that cool kind of cool in the moment action shot, you know, sort of like a sports shot. You just, you got him, he's, he's going under the water, and that's really cool. And they're both very well well drawn, and I quite like that. But I'm actually going, I'm going to stick with Torpedo, because Torpedo made it on my top 100, while Flint did not because of that gun. I just, <laughs> as well, I just can't get away from that gun. He just looks, it just looks weird. Despite the fact that I think of the two pictures, Flint definitely, to me at least, has more personality. He really looks, yeah, he looks iconic and he looks stern and heroic. Ah, I'm almost arguing myself out of torpedo here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have Ripcord on there. 
I think, yeah, I'm going to switch it. Okay, cool. Robohorn oh, is my cool action shot dude, but yeah, I've, I've just changed my mind. Flint, for me, this shot is more iconic than perhaps the Snake Eyes one is. Because this shot looks like something I've seen a lot, especially now that I'm starting to watch the cartoon. It looks very much like the start of an episode. Like, he's getting ready for an, an action sequence. He's getting ready for a mission. He's kind of like gearing himself up. He's hearing the theme tune cool. playing in his in his mind. Do, 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 yes, do. you know, or Roblox somewhere nearby singing it, you know, and they're all having a good time, and they're like, "Yes, take down Cobra." So, okay, cool. I've changed my mind. I'm going with Flint. All right. So Paul went with Torpedo. Uh, Rob went with Flint, which leaves it in your hands, Cujo. Uh, my very capable hands. Um, let's see. Both you guys brought up so much stuff that, like, kind of incredible the revelations I was having while you guys were speaking, but. A lot of times, a weapon can almost define a character's personality. Uh, I would say in Snake Eyes' case, the Uzi matched up with a ninja is a direct contradiction, which kind of makes his character unique. Because, I mean, you don't normally have somebody who throws shiny stars and then sprays the room. But uh, with a shotgun, you almost feel like that that is Flint's personality. He'll kind of do his own thing. He's not going to listen to orders all the time. And a shotgun kind of evokes that close combat you know, popping shells out of the top of the gun or, you know, pump action, whichever. Mm. But the pose is nice. And what Paul said about him, you almost can hear his voice the way that he's drawn. That's that's a great thing to say. Uh, he's got that square jaw, which evokes kind of a strong personality, assertive. Um, that hand raised could mean a couple things. I would actually roll with this card art even harder if he had a shotgun slung over his shoulder. Because that, to me, would say Flynn. But as it is, let's move on to Seal. And Seal, I cannot divorce my personal feelings from this conversation. Seal was actually the first character I bought in a store. My first two characters were Cobra Commander and Cobra Officer. But this was the first character that I saw on the peg, bought it. I can remember exactly how that afternoon felt and, and opening him on the way home. But this is also a really great character. I mean, like, the backpack has those orange accents, which really kind of opens up this character. Without the uh, orange tubes on his backpack or the air tanks, uh, this character is kind of uh, obviously not monochromatic, but he doesn't stand out quite as much. Uh, the pose on the art, I dig it. I've always been fascinated with underwater stuff to begin with, so easy for me. I'm going to roll with Torpedo. All right. Boom. Boom. Flint is left in Torpedo's dust. And I in think his, that's in a his wet good, tracks. I think that might be a good note to leave it on for tonight, gentlemen. And that concludes episode 46 of G.I. Joburg. The Ultimate Card Art Showdown. We will continue in episode 47, but so far, Storm Shadow, The Baroness, Firefly, The Battle Android Trooper, Snake Eyes version 2, Destro, Ripcord, and Torpedo are still in the running. Many will fall, only one will prevail. Join us for episode 47 when we crown the ultimate. G.I. Joe Cardart. Yo, Joe.